Ladies and gents, welcome back to episode 25 of the Empowered Women's Podcast. I've actually got a special guest on today. Very interesting character. So her name is Renee Gracie. So just a quick backdrop on this. So I actually got asked to interview her on Radio Metro of all places. Didn't know who she was. I got a little bit of a background on her and I was like, sorry guys, can't do it. I've got work. And then funnily enough, had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a photographer and I kind of mentioned to him, look, I'm thinking of doing this thing. What do you think? And he goes, well, I think you need to speak to Renee Gracie. And I was like, who's this Renee Gracie? Because it's the second time I've heard of her. So turns out she's an OnlyFans extraordinaire, ranked pretty highly. Um, but prior to that, she was um, pretty big in the Australian motorsport industry. So we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, and then somehow we're going to integrate relationships into this as well. Renee, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So where do we start? Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> I mean, you're only 26. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. What made you get into motorsport? Well, I was a young girl back then, or yeah. many, many years ago and being now. Female as well. Yes, you know. yeah. It feels yeah. like a lifetime ago now. Mm. But I was twelve, just turning thirteen. So I was almost about to turn thirteen, and I went on a family trip to Hamilton Island, mm-hmm. a school holidays um, in December. I think end of December, just before Christmas. Last day of the holiday, Dad and Mum were like, "Right, last day. What are we going to do? Our flights in the afternoon." Yep. And my sister really wanted to go paragliding, which is like where the kite's above the boat and like you're up in the air and it's like a bit scary and I'm petrified of heights. I'm like, nope, no way I'm doing that. I think I would shoot myself. I was like, nope. And so I kicked up a stink about that and I was like to dad, I was like, I'm not going. And he's like, okay, your sister and your mum can do that and we'll go find something else to do. So Mm. my dad and I were just rolling around on the golf buggy and we stumbled across the go-karting track that they had there. And we went there and yeah, I went in the go-kart with my dad first because I was a bit scared and didn't know what what I was doing and I was sitting tandem with my dad and the whole time I was just thinking like how slow he was mm. so we hopped out and I was like to dad I was like I want to go again but I want to go by myself mm. and I was 12 so I think you have to be 12 or just 13 before you can go by yourself but they like let me go by myself because I was like like 10 days away or something from being 13 okay. like not that far yep. so they let me go and yeah I went out with dad and I was like to dad I was like oh I'll just follow you like all scared and then I realized that dad was really slow and boring so I did that, overtook him, killed it, came back from the holiday, went to Kingston Park Raceway, go-karted basically every weekend out there, set the lap record, and then all of a sudden I started to be super competitive. There you go. Got into go-karting professionally. Yep. um, And then did that for about four years, again, super professionally, um, ranked fourth in Australia two years in a row the last two years that I did it. Got sponsored by Fujitsu Air Conditioning at the time. Yep. And then they took me into Porsche Carrera Cup, which was sort of the start of the car racing journey. So is there anyone that the general public listening that would know, like, what famous race car drivers have you sort of gone up against that we may know about? Um, all of them, sort of. I mean, like uh, Craig Lowndes, Garth Tanders, anyone who's currently racing at the moment um, yeah, right. uh, I raced against when I was racing. Yeah, I think like Russell Ingall was in there when I did the Bathurst 1000. Wow. Yeah, pretty much. What was much. that like, being so young? Um. I don't know. I sort of didn't really think about it. I just saw them as like people just doing the same thing as me. I didn't grow up watching motorsport as a kid because it just sort of, when I started go-karting, I just sort of got propelled into the car racing world. So I didn't 
really know much about any of these guys when I started racing them, to be completely honest. I knew that they had, like, big names, but, you know, my dad never, like, sat me down in front of the TV and made me watch motorsport on the weekends, you know. Like, I had yeah, never right. watched one race of Formula One. Like, I had never watched anything. So you had so no idea. You're I had no like, idea. I'm really good at this thing. I'm just going to do it and that's Yeah, I'm it. just going to keep going and see what I can make of it, I guess, yeah. How, um, how humbling of you. Like, because yeah. I'm sure a lot of young boys would be like, this is my dream job, this is what I wanted to do and then to get to that platform and then to be like, eh, yeah, it's okay, I was good at it and now I'm, you know, see yep. how I go. Cool. Um, what's your, what would you say your racing career highlight would be? Um, I think 14th at the final Bathurst 1000 that I did was a pretty big achievement out of yeah. 27, so that was pretty yeah. good to just stick in it and actually be, I wouldn't say we were like obviously super competitive, but yeah. you know, we were having to pass people for track position to stay a lap ahead. And like, we were actually to stay 14th, we're really in the battle, like to hang on to being 14th sort of yeah. thing. So yeah. um, there was people who had, you know, were trying to get past us and put us like behind, or there was people who were trying to make time back and we were at risk of taking us out. And, you know, we, we had to fight pretty hard. So I would say, 14th and then I did get a podium in Carrera Cup as well at Phillip Island so I think I came third Amazing. so that was probably one I had a few top tens um throughout my time as well but I, I wasn't I, I wouldn't say I have heaps of trophies from car racing unfortunately yeah um what would be your favorite car that you've driven um, I would say the Porsche Carrera yeah. Cup was definitely the most enjoyable I think I was so new to it all too. I had only been in go-karts for I think I was five years and then I went straight into Porsche mm. and I did that for two and it was the one the one car out of everything that I did that I wish I got to spend more time in. Yeah. So when you're on the straight, mm. like how fast are you going? Just depends on the track but most yeah. tracks are like 220, 30, 40 plus. Yeah. yeah. Do you yep. ever, like, did you ever get scared? Were there moments in your career where you thought, shit, I'm going to have a serious accident here or you've always fairly confident on the track? Um, I felt like the faster I was going, the better things would feel, mm. as silly as that sounds. But cars are yeah. sort of designed to work their best at obviously the, the highest speed. level and, the, and the, the furthest that they can be pushed. Um, so generally if I felt that I was off and wasn't doing my best or if I was slow, I felt – you know, I was like, oh, God, I'm going to crash. But when, yeah. when you're actually, like, going fast and everything feels good, you can feel a lot more and everything just makes more sense. Yeah. So the harder you pushed it and, and the faster you went through corners and the deeper you broke and all that sort of stuff, the better everything would feel. So it wasn't actually mm. scary when you were going flat out half the time because you felt more in control, weirdly enough. Amazing. Okay. So um, which – so, I mean, you, you drove in the Porsche Carrara Cup. Is that correct? Yep. yep. Sponsored by Fuji? Yeah, I was. I had uh, Fujitsu. I had a heap of Fujitsu sponsors. Yeah, so I had had Fujitsu, um, and then I had Caltex and Fujitsu in my last year, and then I moved on to Fujitsu and Caltex, and then Caltex in development series. Got you. So are these the teams? Are these what we would consider teams within the sport? Yeah. So how how it worked is that I had teams. um, It's quite complex the whole racing game. A lot of people think they know how it works, but actually have no idea. Um, So I had teams that ran my cars, and so for Porsche, for example, it was McIlroy Race. Racing, and then they would say, "Okay, it's going to cost you four hundred twenty or four hundred eighty thousand dollars a year to run this car with us." Wow! So then we had to raise sponsorship to be able to go and run with them. So I raced with McElroy Racing, but then I had sponsorship from Fujitsu to fund fund that budget. Basically, was it hard to get that sort of budgeting? 
Um, in the beginning, I was lucky enough to have Fujitsu on board and yeah. they wanted to push me forward. Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, getting more sponsors on board was the hardest thing after that because obviously I was the only girl first to do it and everyone was like, mm, we're not sure. Yeah. Everyone thinks that I got things handed to me on a silver spoon because I was a female and things mm. were easier, but yeah. it, unfortunately it was quite the opposite. Was your dad into it? Like, was he ever into racing? No, that no, so this absolutely is just not. Something that you were good at, you were gifted. Yeah, my dad yeah. didn't actually come to a lot of my races. He just he he hated coming to the race tracks. He said, you know, when I'm on track, I'm on track for not very long, and yeah. he waited around all day. And because I was super busy, he would hardly ever see me. He would yeah. hardly ever get to talk to me. Yeah, you know, half the time I was just super busy or I'd be in a shit mood and I'd be grumpy or yeah. something had happened or, you know. So I'd imagine there's a lot going on. Yeah. It's a big team. How many, like, people in the pit crew usually? Um, I think when I was, like, in Porsche, for example, there was four or five cars. So that's five drivers plus family and then there was about 30 pit crew in total to run wow. us all. So yeah. there was quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and then in development series, it was a bit of a smaller sort of fit out but still between two or three cars, there's about 20, 20 pit crew plus drivers and family. So it's, it's quite a lot of people. Yeah. So interesting. It's intense. All right, so had you ever had a bingle, like any accidents? Yeah, just little ones, little little touches every now and then, pretty much yeah. every race basically. The biggest the biggest one that I had was in Clipsal in my second year of development series, I think. I um, I was following someone really closely and they clipped the wall in front of me, and yeah. but I was just a little bit left of them, so I clipped the wall even more. Um, so I basically smashed the wall and pretty much we had to replace every panel and wheel on the car except the roof pretty much. Did you much. feel that impact though? No, not really. Yeah. I didn't even know that the I didn't realize that the crash was that big until it was done sort of. Well, <laughs> it just so, felt like I hit the wall so fast and like surely I can get home. <laughs> I'm I'm going to be okay, but I was not okay. <laughs> wow. Well, had you suffered any injuries from that? No, nah, no, it was fine. Nothing. Okay. So, then you've moved on to OnlyFans. Mm. Yeah, and what year was that? 2019 in November yeah. is when I started. So why? What What sort of – what was the transition for you? Yeah, the transition is a bit of a weird one. So I left racing, finished up racing. I just got really over it um, and a lot of people don't really understand because, again, such broad picture. But yeah. I lost my passion for it probably the last year that I did it. I was just completely over and out. I just gave up basically. Um, what was it, do you think? Like why did you lose your – um, the way I was treated all the time, mm. um, uh, the way I could see people talking about me, the way people would treat me. Um, Do you I think had, because of the fact that you're a female? It was the fact that I was a female, yeah. yeah. yeah just just the way. And I felt that in, in towards the end when we got the Bathurst drives and the deals, we were just treated so differently, like – I can't even explain just test days, you know, they would, that we would just run a different program to the boys. And it's like, we're, we're perfectly capable of doing what these guys can do. Like, just let us do mm. it. Like, why mm. are you giving us a different strategy compared to them? Like if I want to be as good as them, give me the same opportunity. Um, so were there other females, uh, female competitors at your level? No. So I was the only female, but then right. when I did the Bathurst 1000, I brought a female driver in over from Switzerland where she was living in America at the time. Gotcha. And we yep. did that together because it's a co-driver. So two of us, it takes two of us to complete the whole race. Cool. Um, so that we were the only two at the time in, in that whole time I was, I was racing. So in Porsche yep. development series for the three or four years that I did it, I was the only female. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. And you find, you found that just the two of you together, there just, there wasn't that equal treatment. No, absolutely not compared to the other drivers and the other co-drivers, unfortunately. And even before I got that drive with her, I could just see in all the teams, I was just always treated that little bit differently. And, and you know, in open conversation, people would talk like talk about how they were doing things differently to me and all that sort of stuff. So mm. that was one thing that really sucked. And then I had a lot of dramas with my manager towards the end as well and money mm. and budget and found out that he was taking money from my program and sponsors and 
telling me that he got, you know, only 50 grand when he got 80 and only gave my program 50 and pocketed the rest and all that sort of stuff. So I just got after all of that and, you know, trying really hard, mm. I was I was always dragged into everything that was involved with my program and about me, but so much of it had actually nothing to do with racing. And at the time, I'm just like, you know, a 20-year-old girl trying to navigate through all of this stuff. And I didn't mm. I didn't have the skill set or experience to navigate through all of this and, and no. figure it out. So unfortunately, it means that I just got over it. My, my option in my head was, you know, stuff this. All of my issues and problems are coming from from racing, so I'm, I'm just going to leave. I'm getting out. So that's why that's why I left. Yeah. No, that's a tough one, um, being super young as well. How were your family? Were they quite supportive with your whole racing career? What was their advice around... Like, did they want to try and have you, like, keep going or give you some support and wisdom around, I guess, how to navigate? And Because who do you trust mm. when big money's involved? And had you walked away from any prize money? Like, did you get – how were you paid in that whole process? Yeah, so we weren't – I wasn't paid. So basically, sort of like I said with the team going, okay, it's going to cost you X amount of dollars to, to run with us because it was such a big amount. So yeah. – most of the kids who are in motorsport right now, their yep. families would, or dad is paying, or the dad's business right. is, is paying. And you see all these kids with all these fla- fancy cars and all these stickers all over the side of the car, and people assume that they're a sponsorship, but it's actually like it's the old man's business. And, yeah, right. and dad makes millions or billions of dollars in some instances for some of the kids. Gotcha. Um, and that's how they're doing it. I didn't have that, unfortunately. My dad went broke basically trying to pay for me to go go-karting and lost all, all of his money spending it on me, so I he had nothing. It's quite expensive. I've got a friend of mine who's PT and he, I mean, from England originally, um, same sort of deal, started in go-karting. Dad fronted a lot. I think it was over six figures just Mm -hmm. to to get him to keep competing. And in the end, it just became more of an expense than anything else. Yeah. So So my my second last year, my dad spent $80,000 and then the final year of go-karting, he spent one hundred and twenty. And then he's like, I can't do this anymore. I'm broke. Yeah. <laughs> so so we had to have no other option except do what Fujitsu wanted us to do. And that was to go into Porsche because my dad couldn't fund anything yeah. else, unfortunately. So, yeah, it's, it's quite expensive. Mm-hmm. But in the Porsche development series, for example, um, you can get sponsorship. So some, some people's parents or families might go, okay, we'll put in 200, mm-hmm. but you have to find another 200,000. So they do get sponsorships or legitimate sponsorships, yep. but they're still backed. But unfortunately for me, um, I didn't have not one cent from anywhere other than 100% sponsorship. So um, it could, would cost four or $500,000 to race. Mm-hmm. All the years that I raced, that was the average price anywhere from about 420 to about 500 in the last year that mm-hmm. I did it. And well, it was getting all paid- like anything, any like a, a weekly wage or well, anything from that? That was the thing. So if, if I took 30 grand mm. out of the 500, mm. it still meant that we were 30 grand short for the, the race, which means that could yeah. have been a, a test day and some practice tyres or something like that. So yeah. um, the option was always whenever we got surplus or more money, mm. I would take it. But the issue was is that because we had to have so many sponsors – to cover the cost yeah we would run out of space on the car so we would only just raise enough money because obviously every sponsor wants a a space on the car to show their sticker and to show their brand yeah i had so many sponsors i would run out of space on the car and i couldn't get any more sponsors to get in and find any more money and therefore i wasn't ever able to take money for myself so then how did you survive financially so i had to work on the side so when i first got into porsche i had quit my job at mcdonald's (laughs) when i was working at macca's and i was 16 yeah yeah i was doing the overnights (laughs) and it was very frustrating because i used to do the overnights and i used to clear like 900 bucks a week just doing three days or three nights a week which was pretty good um so i left that and um yeah i worked on the side i got a deal with a car manufacturer 
a company and just did some driver coaching and training with them. So yeah. in between races, right up until even when I was like at the Bathurst 1000, everyone thinks I'm there earning heaps of money. I'm at the biggest race meeting in Australia. And I remember I, I went home and I called my dad because you know, I had a really hard day in the media and there was all this stuff getting circulated. Mm. And I was just like bawling my eyes out because I had like 50 cents in my bank account, people picking on me, bullying me, like saying all these things about me. It's horrible. And therefore like my life, like everyone thinks that it's this glamorous thing, but my life sucked. Miranda Clare is the creator of The Soulmate Coach, helping singles meet their soulmate and couples find their spark. Mentoring, matchmaking, manifestation and more. Are you curious? Maybe even a little keen? Well, you can chat directly with Miranda by texting LOVE to 0451 78110 to book in your complimentary 15-minute soulmate strategy session to get a deep dive into how to transform your love life today. It's an interesting point that you say that. So... Um, I had a brief stint with reality TV myself last year. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you know or not know that is neither here nor there. However, having a taste of the media and how brutal it can be and mm-hmm. the misconception about because you're in this somewhat privileged position and people kind of think you've got it all together and it's all great and this and that. But when your life is on display and people are kind of ripping you apart mm. um, without any consideration of your emotions or what's really happening. Yeah. The reality is is that a lot of people that are in these so-called privileged positions are no better than anyone else. Exactly. If anything, they're probably worse off in yeah. some circumstances as well. Yep. Um, okay. So then the reality is is that it, it wasn't that glamorous. It was probably overrated more than anything else. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the issue with me is that – all of these kids can come in and, and, you know, their parents are loaded, they've got, you know, a wealthy family. So they go home and they don't have a stress in the world. And, and, you know, they go back to their million dollar mansion that they live in or, you know, they go back and work for their dad who pays them, you know, overpays them for working with them two days a week or mm. something like that. And they live these glamorous lives. But yeah. I didn't have any of that, unfortunately. And I was, you know, I was going back home to my dad who would then say, all right, you've got to pay rent this week. And I'm like, well, first of all, I wasn't even at home this week because I was racing. Mm. And second of all, I haven't worked for a week because I was away racing. So how do you expect me to pay rent? So um, what did um, what did mum and dad do for themselves if they weren't millionaires? Yeah. How was, how was dad funding the whole project yeah so dad dad had his own business mum didn't work she was a stay-at-home mum yeah um so she was a stay-at-home mum right up until my first year um that I raced ever at Clipsal a couple weeks beforehand my mum had a brain aneurysm so she's in full-time care as of like my the start of my career basically Mm. but um when I was go-karting mum was always supportive of it and she used to come out and like make lunches and sandwiches and stuff because she didn't want us to go spend money on like takeaway food and all that sort of stuff um but dad had his own businesses so he's he's always been someone who has bought businesses that are either like bankrupt or going broke or in a struggling position okay he would come in so my dad's really smart like with math, it just blows my mind. Yeah. Um, and I did not get that ability, unfortunately. I'm like the, the dumbest one of the family, unfortunately, in comparison to him and my sister. Um, but they're super smart. And yeah. um, so he would go to businesses. He would give them like a business plan, tell them numbers that they need to crunch to make a profit. Um, and then he would either take a wage or salary from them or he would buy the business, flip it, make a profit from it and sell it and just move on to the next thing. So okay. that's how he made a lot of his money. Yeah. Um, and then he just had money saved aside. So he had money for my sister and I put aside for us to go to uni. Mm. And obviously when I was 16, started go-karting, I didn't choose to go to uni. So I spent that money on racing. So my dad had that money to lean on because he had spent my whole lifetime saving up for it. And we blew it in about five years. Wow. (laughs) Interesting. It's a a life lesson at the end of the day. So then obviously you've had enough of racing and then you've gone into OnlyFans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So was OnlyFans at the time just an up-and-coming platform or had it been sort of up-and-coming or already well-established at that point? 
I think it was a f- the first time I ever heard about it was the a couple of months before I started it. It didn't take me long mm. to make the decision. Mm. I think it had been around for a while. It had been around since like 2016 or 17, yeah. but it's not until COVID where it really started to take off when everything sort of hit the fan. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of fans. I thought when I left racing that I would lose a lot of my fans. I yeah. thought, oh, it's over. No one cares about what I'm doing anymore, whatever. Mm. And I just like didn't really care, but I was sort of – in the back of my mind, a lot of the media stuff and publicity and everything, that's why I got over it. So I'm sort of was like, oh, if I lose some of these people and I can just like get normality back in my life, I'm going to be happier and I'm probably yeah. not going to be as depressed and hate my life and I can yeah. just distance myself from motor racing and I'm just going to be better off. Mm. Um, but my, it was the opposite. My fan base grew. So when I wasn't in control because my managers and sponsors controlled everything, I didn't control any of my social medias. Mm-hmm. They, they posted everything, typed everything, messaged all my fans. I didn't do any of it. Yeah. Um, so when I was actually able to get control back of all of that and I was actually able to post what I wanted and and talk how I wanted and show what I wanted all of a sudden my my fan base just on my Instagram I went from like 12,000 to 30,000 in like the first six weeks and then went from like 30 to 50 and then I'm like oh my goodness like wow and that's all organic growth yeah I I was just I was it wasn't doing anything I was just like posting more selfies and yeah then I then I was obviously you know 22 23 and then I started posting bikini photos and being more riskier yeah and that's when all of a sudden it started to really take off I was like like 80,000 fans and I was like holy crap like I thought I would lose all my fans and no one would want to know who I am so and then I had a lot of people messaging me when I would upload photos like bikinis and like more risky photos people going oh you should you know you should show us more on it's only fans and people pay for you to show photos like this and and I was like what is this only fans thing so I was lucky enough to have a girlfriend who was already on it yeah um and then I said to her I messaged her I was like do you know what only fans is and she messaged me and she's like oh my god she's like I'm on only fans she's like are you thinking of doing it yeah because it was really not something that I would have done beforehand at all so she like died she's like oh my god are you thinking of doing it and yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. well, yeah, these people are saying that they'd pay for photos of me. I'll, I'll do that. That's easy. Um, and so I saw her page. I saw she, what she was doing. I subscribed to a lot of other people's pages. So I really got a really good understanding quite quickly of what the, the app is capable of, what you can do, what you can offer how much in control you are, which Mm. I think for me, I haven't been in control of my life for so long, just leaving racing. I had no control over anything I did. I had, you know, people telling me what I should say and even just like interviews and stuff. I had scripts and just all sorts of stuff. Like I had been under control for so long. It was almost just like, oh my God, I can do whatever I want. And it was just like this new lease of life almost for me to have like this ultimate freedom and being able to show, do and say what I wanted to do. So real self. Yeah. And that was just like the extreme attraction to it for me straight off the bat. So Mm. I, yeah, I didn't hesitate. I think from when I first heard about it to when I started, I reckon it was like two or three months, not even. So what happened in the first six days of launching on the platform it went went wild <laughs> yeah yeah it went crazy I yeah. um I I think I had one or two photos up there too because I just yeah. didn't think anyone would subscribe what sort of photos did you have up there just like two bikini photos just by the pool like yeah. nothing special yeah. um like well, compared to what's on there now yeah it was it was it was I'm embarrassed <laughs> almost that I even thought that that's I was naive because I really thought that's all people wanted to see but yeah. I also knew that people probably wanted to see more but I just didn't care mm. um and yeah, it took off. I think in the first 24 hours, I think I'd made like 19,000 US dollars. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty wild. Do you know where most of your followers had sort of come from? Like was it Australia-based? Yeah, Australia. Overseas? Yeah. To this day, Australia yeah. is still my biggest yeah. following on there. So yeah. at that point, how many followers – where were you promoting it at, at first and mm. how many followers were on those platforms at the time? I just promoted it on my Instagram only when yeah. I first started. I didn't put it anywhere else. Yeah. Um, 
I think I just I think I just took like a screenshot of the OnlyFans logo, mm. like I did because I was so scared at the same time of like. I knew that articles were going to come out and I knew people were going to say stuff. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to put a, a screenshot of the logo and then I just put my link there mm. um, and it just like took off. So I think I just did that and I just left it for like 24 hours because I was like, I was a bit scared. I was yeah. like, what could happen? But I knew that the happen. photos on there were tame, yeah. um, but I just didn't know. Like it was just the unknown of what was going to happen. Of course. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I had like 2,300 or 2,500 people subscribe in the first 24 hours. Crazy. And, but everyone was just subscribing and just like tipping me 50 bucks, 100 bucks, like here and there and just going like, oh my God, like I love you. Because it's really the first time people were able to communicate with me as well. Yeah. Because I was so controlled for so long yeah, that yeah, yeah. people would message me. My managers would just go, oh, this is Renee's team here. Like, thank you so much for your inquiry or so they couldn't even have personal contact no because all of my stuff was so controlled um i think it was the first time when people realized that they could chat with me directly it just went insane like every person who has tried to contact me everywhere else i reckon jumped on my OnlyFans just to say like hello or send me a photo that we took like three years ago when i was at a go-kart track or something like Mm. it, it just went wild yeah okay so i mean We've got everyday people that are on it. Mm. Then we've got also, I think, um, uh, Cardi B. Isn't Cardi B on uh, Yeah, it? I think she started one as well. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. all sorts of celebrities on it now. All sorts. And, I mean, you don't have to do porn per se. Nope. I mean, what are some of the things people do on OnlyFans and they're making money? Well, I know some girls who don't show their face and they'll just do, like, nude photos and videos and stuff like that and, like, yep. custom requests and stuff. Yeah, right. I know some girls who just do, like, extreme, like, fetish stuff. So... And what I mean by extreme is not like hardcore stuff, but I mean like just really unique, strange fetishes. Yep, um, such as? Uh, like popping balloons for people. Yeah, right. And um, they get turned on by that. Yes, yep. Um, eating certain <laughs> foods, um, like eating a burrito with red lipstick on. Um, Stop it. Smushing bananas with their toes. <laughs> Yeah, just <laughs> extremely unique fetishes. And is, here we are working hard. Yeah. And these women are just squashing bananas and yeah, they're killing it. I know. We're in the wrong industry. Yeah, so it's it's very, very weird stuff. Um, yeah. I don't get asked for many of that stuff. I think maybe because I don't advertise it, but I, yeah. I feel like there's some girls who just advertise and just do really well with really unique because I think maybe they're unique. I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet, but yeah. there are some girls who just get – the, the weird requests and, they, and they, they're happy to do it. Yeah. Um, and I think for me too, just my image, I think maybe even if someone did have that request, they might be slightly embarrassed to ask me for it Yeah. because like I, they might think that I might tell their friends or something. I don't know what they think, but I think because it's just like, oh, I don't want to ask Renee Gracie to mush a banana with her toes. She won't do that. I think people get a bit like scared to ask. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I know lots of girls who um, – We'll just do fetish stuff and then obviously there's girls who, who are in relationships and, and people in relationships and they can just do couple stuff. Mm. I know lots of other – I know a lot of people, um, especially I feel like I follow a few people in the UK who do couple stuff but it's all very tame. Right. Um, but they'll do like lots of role-playing stuff but not actually show much sort of thing at the same time. Gotcha. Like yep. they'll just be like, oh, my boyfriend and I had a fight, um, you know, and they'll be like, you know, come chat with me or let's just have like a sexting session and talk about, you know, like the fight that we had and just like weird things because people want to live out their roles and play their roles and stuff as yeah. well. Yeah, um, yeah. And I know a lot of like role-playing stuff, mm. um, ASMR. I know there's a lot of girls on there doing that as well. AMSR. AMSR, ASMR. ASMR. <laughs> It's I, for. Oh, the one where they like get really close to the the microphone and they whisper and talk like this. Oh, is that a thing? Yeah. What does that actually stand for though? I have no idea, but I think it's 
a, a secret a, message request? No. <laughs> ASMR. A, I don't know what it is now. I thought it was that. But it's like super close up, but like they'll be like opening packets or like eating chips or they'll just be like licking the microphone and stuff like and that. And that's a, a um, an abbreviation of a fetish. Of... Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I need to know. I'm, I need to research that. Yeah. 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 So... Watch your space. I might tag it below in the comments <laughs> yeah. and we'll dissect whatever the hell that means. Yeah. There's there's something for everything is, is my saying. There is oh, something for everything. Big believer. Yep. Big believer. So you started out with a couple of bikini shots, mm-hmm. um, done well with it. How long did you do that? And then now what do you sort of post? So I think I really strung it out, to be completely honest with mm. you. Um, I n- not intentionally strung it out, but I just found that I wasn't getting a, a big demand initially like what I thought mm. because I had all that fan base coming and going, oh, my God, I love you. I've, I took a photo of you three years ago at the track and this, I don't know if you remember me, like I had that, those hardcore fans yeah, getting yeah, yeah. contact. Not not many of them asked for anything. They just wanted to chat with me. So right. um, I had a couple months where I was just doing that messages, like hundreds and hundreds of messages a day. Like, and it was people just paying for that? Yeah, yeah, and people just tipping me hundreds bucks here 50 bucks there like all sorts of stuff and then then i think after those people sort of like died off or like had their fix where they were chatting with me Mm -hmm. um i think a lot of them did turn around and start to go like oh so what's what's what are you planning to do with this Mm. so i think they were all sort of wondering like oh where do we go from here now that we're we're all friends we're all friendly um so yeah i think a couple months after that then i started obviously just doing like topless photos um, and then again, it took me ages to do anything nude. And then I got to cut another couple months out of that. Yeah. And then yeah. I started doing my own solo stuff. Yeah. Well, before I even started doing that, I just started doing like, uh, just more like videos and like suggestive teasing sort of stuff. I never actually really gave much away in the beginning. Yeah. Again, because I had to come over the hurdle of just like being scared and things getting leaked. And yeah. once I realized that all of that was happening, then it was just, it was on. I just showed everything. <laughs> she took advantage yeah, of it. Yeah, I just went for it. Yeah, okay. basically. So you've got a partner. Yes. Yes. So how long have you guys been together for now? It'll be two years in February. Cool. So he's been through this process pretty much since you've been on OnlyFans. So you've been on OnlyFans since when was it? November. Of... And we met in 19. So we met in February 2020. Okay. So I was only on it for a few months before I met him. Gotcha. Okay. But I didn't introduce him onto my OnlyFans until I was on I was on OnlyFans for about 12 months and then he, he came, came in. Yeah. yeah. How does he feel about you being on the platform? Well, I was already on it before he was with me Mm. so he the way we got met was through a friend of a friend Mm. so my close girlfriend was seeing a guy and their friends and her and our friends and she was talking to him and we happened to run into each other um we're actually at the casino (laughs) and um and we we just started chatting and to be honest at first of all I wasn't interested in him at all but then Mm. the way I got introduced is oh this is this is her friend that's on OnlyFans so I'm like oh he already knows whatever I've got nothing to hide um and so I just yeah I was talking to him about it and he was asking about it and he's just like you know what 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 do girls do on there because he hadn't really heard about it so Mm. he was across it and okay with it basically from the first time we met yeah um and then I think after that uh he was I don't know he he sort of never really asked about it that much yeah um when we were dating and like when we were seeing each other and stuff I it's not that he didn't show interest in it I think he just knew that it was like my own thing Mm. and I don't think he wanted to know at the same time, like just he didn't want to know the answer to any questions that he probably had to ask. Gotcha. Um, But it wasn't until we were a bit more serious where I actually 
I think we, we started talking about, I think I would have a funny request or someone would ask me, ask me something and I'm like, oh my God, look what this person just asked me. And then we started to talk about it more yeah. when I realized that he was never going to probably ask about it because mm. I feel like maybe it was an awkward thing for him or mm. he didn't want to overstep any boundaries or whatever. And then I think once we opened up about it, it, it was fine. Yeah. Is he on the platform with you now? Yeah, so he features in videos with me, yeah. Yeah, so not all videos, but he comes on with you. Yeah, yeah. How do those videos go in terms of, like, do you make big bank compared to, say, the solo stuff or is it sort of touch and go, like it's much of a muchness? It's 50-50, yeah. yeah. So I find that a lot of people... So most people either want to see me and only me because they have like obviously they 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 like me and they love my look and they they want to fantasize about being with me. Sure. Um, and they don't want to see me with anybody else. Um, and that, that that ruins their dream <laughs> and their their reality that they have in their head. So seeing something or hearing or seeing another man is not not for them. Um, so I find it's those people just do the solo stuff. Yeah. Um, and then obviously you have the everyone else who wants to see me with with a partner or with another man. Yeah. And they can imagine that even though I'm with another man, they wish it was them. So that they've got those, I've got those people on those sides. So yeah. I feel like it's a real even split. My my own solo stuff, though, in comparison to I don't do a lot of boy girl stuff because I don't want to saturate it. Yeah. Um. I know so many other people who are creating content and they sleep with like three or four people a week, and it's just like it's just overkill. Mm. Um. So I always try and make sure that I'm doing a couple a month, but I want to make like a unique situation a unique scenario make mm. sure that it's real um and and make it like it's a real amateur video rather than just like here see me have sex every two seconds because people get over it yeah i guess it's it's like anything like too much of a good thing yeah it just becomes a little bit um whitewash yeah like there's no difference between it so it's good that you kind of mix it up yeah um yeah i just i think when you take it to an extreme it's very hard to sort of come back from that yeah yeah. So what do you what do you tend to make a week on average at the moment? Oh, to be honest, I don't look anymore. Don't you? <laughs> the money just rolls in. It's just really consistent, yeah. to be honest, as yeah. bad as that sounds. Yeah. Um, it has been consistent since about June last year. Mm. I make about six figures a month. Six figures a month. So, nice. yeah. yeah. Did that's... it take you long to sort of get there? Uh, probably, it was probably when we started, started doing the boy girl content and mm. it started all getting leaked. Mm. Um, that's when it started to really take off. Yeah. Um, and then pretty much since then I've, yeah, I've just been up the top sort of small little percentage and it just ticks away. Had you, had anyone from the racing industry kind of reach out to you once this all sort of took off? No, I've had, I have, but more just to say like, congratulations, you look mm. like you're killing it. Because so, they, mm. the people who have reached out knew that I was the shit situation that I was in when I was racing about yeah. my manager and about me not being happy. And there was people that I not confided in, but like, I just, I would tell them what's going on yeah. because I trusted them and they might've had experience in motorsport where they could have helped me and guided me or maybe introduced me to someone who could help me or whatever. So it was people who knew a bit more about what was going on. Yeah. They've all reached out and said like, congratulations like thank god you, you left and it seems to be the best decision you've made more happy for me not really caring about obviously what i'm doing now more that just yeah. to see where i am now com compared to where i was for sure for sure and um so how did your parents go with you making this decision yeah well dad was fine with it so i um i made so much money in that first day yeah that um, again, because my dad's really switched on. Mm. Um, he's, he's he's really super intelligent, mm. and um, 
I remember sitting in my bedroom and seeing in my wallet there was like $19,000 US in my wallet and I couldn't cash it out because the way uh, OnlyFans works is that it has to sit in your wallet or your pending wallet for seven days and then it goes into your current wallet and then you can withdraw it. Gotcha. So I'm like, oh my God, it's only day one and it's at like $19,000 and I was like, I have seven more days before I can pull all this money out. And then I remember thinking, like, what am I going to do with all this money? And then by the time you convert that, it's more. It's more, yeah. yeah. Yep. So I'm like, what am I going to do with all this money? Mm. And then I'm like, I, I can't I can't not tell Dad about this. Mm. I said, because all of a sudden I'm going to have all this money in my bank account. Mm. Um, at, the, at the time I had an accountant, but then I knew that my dad was helping my, my accountant, uh, helping me with my accountant, so my dad would help me do some things, again, because he's just super smart. Mm. Um, and I just remember thinking, like, oh, my goodness, like, this is just, this is so much money. I can't hide this from Dad and I'm going to have to tell my accountant about it. Mm. So then I was like, oh, I think I'm just going to tell my dad instead of my accountant. I'm just going to tell him what I'm doing. So I walked down. He was sitting on the couch. It was nighttime watching mm. the TV and I sat him down and I was like, dad, I did a thing. And he's like, what thing? And he was like already like mad. <laughs> have you got a pretty good relationship with the old man? Only just. I, I didn't, when I was in racing, my dad and I didn't speak for like two and a half years. I didn't, okay. didn't completely, I got completely cut off. He cut me off, unfortunately. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I moved to Melbourne and yeah. he, at the time he didn't like my manager who ended up fucking me over anyway. So yeah. um, he wasn't keen on my manager and he told me not to go to move there to live with him. And I said, I'm going to do what I want and I think this is the best decision and I'm leaving. Mm. And the day that I left the house, I drove to Melbourne and I never heard anything from him for two and a half years. Do you think he knew something was sus about this manager? Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. Looking back on it, he obviously was getting – but he also t- didn't tell me a lot of things that he had – so he was having conversations with my manager at the time, a lot of things that I didn't know about mm. because no one was telling me because obviously at the time I was only you know, 18 or, or 19 or 20 and, yeah. and it was things that were over my head and if I knew the information – not much, much would have changed anyway, to be honest. Mm. Um, but if maybe if, if he told me, I wouldn't have probably left or I would have been a bit more cautious. Mm. Um, in my head, my manager was the best guy for me and he was going to change my life and we were going to get rich together and travel the world racing cars together. Like that was our goal. Um, but it just didn't work out like that. So, yeah, the, the day that I left, he didn't talk to me for two and a half years. And then when I left racing, I lived in Melbourne by myself. Mm. Um, I, I you had, had nothing. How old were you at the time? 20, I left racing when I was 23. So. And what supports did you have in Melbourne? Like who was None. it? None. Zero me. After my manager left, I had no one, had nothing. Yeah. Just all the friends, friends that I had made from racing and, and mm. just friends in general that I had, had made, mm. which was only a handful, but it was, mm. it was something. Mm. Um, and I had, had no communication and I, um, I, was, I was broke because I left, rest, left racing. Um, and then I was struggling to get work because my before that I had so much racing yeah. that I, I wasn't able to, to take on any more work. So I was waiting for work to come. It was the end of the year where it wasn't really busy. And um, I, I had no money in my bank account and my rent was due. And I was like sitting in my apartment with no lights on, no food in my fridge. Like I had no money, no nothing. I was going to my gym. I was lucky that I got sponsored from a gym when I was racing. So I had a couple of months left on my gym membership. I was going there um, to shower and to use their water and their food and stuff because wow. I couldn't afford to do it at home Crazy. and then I was just going into their vending machine and buying protein bars with all the change that I had to have dinner um, right. and then I remember going home and I was just like balling my eyes out and I was like oh, I'll just call my dad and see if he can just lend me some money mm. and I'll just tell him that I'm in like this horrible position and that I and I stuffed up and I'm, and I'm sorry and I'll just call him and um, I called him and he's just like what do you want and I was like oh, I just want to like apologize and I just wanted to see if you could give me 50 bucks mm. and he's like no and I was like, why not? And he's like, no, I'm not giving you anything. <laughs> so I was like, oh, shit, okay. Wow. after <laughs> so, two years. Yeah, two and a half. Flat out, no. And then, 
then the end of the year came, New Year's and stuff again, spent that just with friends and family and it got to the start of the year and I was like, I'm, I'm, I want to go home now. Like I don't want to live in Melbourne anymore. Like I've yeah. got nothing here. I'm not racing. I've got nothing except my friends. And at the time all they wanted to do was drink and party. You know, we're mm. all in our 20s mm. and I couldn't afford to do that. Mm. Um, mm. I got a job at a car dealership and I and I was making okay money um, but I wanted to come home and I was just like, it's not for me. Um, yeah. and, I, and I called dad and I was like, I, I want to come home. Uh, I want to move back and can, can I come live with you? Mm-hmm. And he said, no, he shut me down. That was at the start of the year. So then I worked at the car dealership right up. That was in about March or April. It was just close to Easter is when I wanted to try and come back. Yeah. Um, and then I waited through the whole year and I thought, well, if he doesn't want me, there's no point in me going back. I'll just try and make a life here in Melbourne and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and then, yeah, in October that same year, I called him again and I was like, just please let me come back. And then he's like, on one condition. And he's like, what? And he's like, you stay in your room. He's like, you stay out of trouble. He's like, don't inconvenience my life. Don't ask me for money. Like, gave me all of these, like, rules. Yeah. Um, yep. And then I was like, yep, done. I was like, let me come home. Like, I just want to come home because yeah. I was just over it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I left about a month after that and, and went home. And then even when I came home, it was just like walking on eggshells every two seconds. It was like that for about a year. Did you ever have a good chat about what, like, what some of the issues were? Had you ever had that heart-to-heart? Oh yeah, he wouldn't. He'd never let me forget it. He he didn't for for the the year that I moved back. It was just like never let me forget all the mistakes I made and yeah. how stupid I was and everything I got, everything that I deserved and all that stuff. Like he was pretty yeah. harsh and just reckons that I. I was just like the shittest daughter and showed no appreciation to him and mm. he obviously ran out of money so he was like was broke and had no money because of me and mm. then I had just up and left him to go live in Melbourne and pursue my life and just left him in the dust sort of thing so yeah it was um it was a very tough 12 months living back with him he he never let me forget it ever what did you learn from that whole experience do you think looking back and my dad can be a real asshole <laughs> Tough love is 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 not the way to to my heart. Sometimes, unfortunately, yeah. um, it's it's definitely ruined a lot of things for me now because I mm. like my I got like a, a lot of people think that I got everything that I ever wanted and that I get like it was I don't know like as a kid when I was go karting stuff I was spoiled but even when my dad would spend money on me and stuff when go karting everything always had like you know you got to do this and if you don't get a B in school and study that you, I'm taking this off you and, mm. and it was everything was always just like Conditional. that. Conditional? Yeah, all the time, yeah. So, yep. um, yeah, it was it was very tough. I think, I don't know, I, it was very – I don't regret anything though. Hmm. That's the thing. And hmm. I think if anything it just learnt me that I probably just needed to, to understand how he needed to be dealt with better rather than me just being selfish and doing what I wanted. Yeah. I don't think when I told him I left, I'm just like, I'm leaving. I'm going to Melbourne. I'm going to go live with my manager. I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. Where I probably should have done it completely differently. Sure. I don't regret doing it, but there's definitely ways that I probably could have gone around it a lot differently to not you upset him. You were a kid him. at the time, though, in all fairness. Yeah, so I was I mean, 21 when I moved. To, I just turned 21 yeah. when I moved to Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're still at that rebellious stage where you've got a point to prove. You're like, oh. I can I can do this. I'm an yeah. adult. I remember doing the same thing with my parents when I wanted to buy a car. I was like, oh, you don't want to help me buy a car? That's okay. I'll go and do it myself. Yeah. Got myself in the worst financial trap. Yeah. The car ended up being a lemon. Yeah. You know, and it's unfortunately our parents have a funny way of showing love and protection. Yeah. And it's and it's the complete opposite of what it should look like. Yeah. Where it should be more softer and caring and compassionate, whereas sometimes they can completely stonewall you, mm-hmm. not talk to you. And then that's their way of going, well, I love you this much that I'm prepared to actually exit you out of my life yeah, for that's a period your lesson. of time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which is a really harsh approach, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, some of the old school parents, it's what they like. Yeah. So yep. how old are your folks? 
My my parents are old, so my parents married. They were second marriage for both of them, yeah. and sort of second lease of life for both of them. So yeah. my dad at the moment thinks about sixty seven. They had okay. me when they were in their forties, so they yeah. were they were old when they had my They're sister. In that and older I. generation, yeah. There we go. So they're Case hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> Case in point. Yeah. Okay. So where to now? So how long is this OnlyFans thing going to last? Do you think? Yeah, I have no idea. I'm still amazed that it keeps going along the way it's going on, <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, my my goals, I feel like in Australia here I'm a bit like exhausted, like everybody knows about me or most people mm. know about me or someone who knows someone knows about me or I feel like in the motorsport industry and, mm. and I've been posted and shared everywhere that I've needed to be shared and posted. Mm. Um, I try to try and find new avenues and new things, but the only reason why I get shut down is because of what I do. Yeah. Um, so not a lot of the people who don't want to deal with me and don't want to promote promote me and, and do anything to do with me is just because of, of what I do. So they're just like, no way. Yeah. Um, so I feel like um, my my next goal and my next journey is mm. like to look overseas and to go overseas and to do things overseas. So Such as? Such as going to America and seeing who wants to make videos with me and, and seeing who Continue wants to, to produce collaborate. videos and collaborate. And yeah. the thing, the, the biggest issue I have in Australia here is that, and this is just from a, a business point of view and it's going to sound harsh, but mm. no one's up to my calibre, unfortunately. Mm. I, I've, I've been in the top percentage. Um, and, you know, I get people ask me all the time if I want to collaborate with them, but from a business point of view, it makes no sense. Mm. I'm like, why would I collaborate with you and, and promote you to my, you know, 18, 20,000 fans? And you're going to promote me to your two thousand or three thousand. So there's more of an advantage for them than there is yeah. for you. And I, and I haven't yeah. met anyone yet that is able to advent, give me the advantage, yeah. and where I can go, oh, promote me to your thirty or forty thousand fans, and I can promote you to my, you know, twenty thousand. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't do that here, unfortunately. There's no one else that's that I know of that, or that's approached me, or that I've heard about on OnlyFans that has that number and that caliber. So, so you're me, in the top point. One percent? No, so I or was in the zero point zero zero one, but what I does that float. Mean? So that's just percentage percentage of how much you earn um, across all users. So the lower the percentage, the more you earn. Right. So obviously there's nothing lower than one. Yeah. So I float now around zero point zero seven to zero point zero five is sort of that percentage that I float in. So what was your best month to date? Uh, half a million dollars. And is that an average month for you? Yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, half a million dollars. Right. That's all right. Hold your knickers, everyone. Don't shit yourself, okay? Tell a lot of coin. Um, you recently bought, bought a, a fairly expensive car. I've got a few, yep. Got a few. Tell us about those. What have you got? Um, well, the first car I ever bought, um, which was finance as well, when I was in my car sales job, was mm. a Mustang. Um, and then when I started all of this OnlyFans stuff, I paid that off pretty much you know, six months after having what it. What model so, Mustang do you have? It's a 16, 2016 um, Ford Mustang GT. So yep. it's the, nice. the V8. Um, yeah. And so I paid that off in the first like six or eight months of owning that, which mm -hmm. was sort of like my first car that I've ever paid for cash which was cool what about um, a good co accomplishment yeah so mm -hmm. that was a very proud moment so i've still got that because that's sort of like to me that's like my car where i thought you know paying a thirty-six thousand dollar loan off mm. you know a couple months after starting only fans like i thought i had made it you know like i thought 100%. i was the shit i'm like this yeah. is cool man i'm like 25 years old i can pay for this cash like i'm like i was Making like bank. stoked yeah yep. um so i've still got that because it's very sentimental to me because it's almost like i look back at that now and think oh my god i, I thought i was so cool buying this car yeah <laughs> like, now i could buy 50 of them in, in and that's half the money Crazy. that i earn in a month right so it's like quite funny um so i've still got that car that i'll have that car Forever, that's like a very sentimental car for me. That means means more to me out of any of the other cars. What colours the Mustang? 
It's fluoro yellow at the moment. It's okay. red underneath, but it's so got a bit of a it around the GC much? Yeah, or, yeah, I yeah. drive it. I drive it often. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't normally don't drive it where I have to go over speed bumps because it's okay. quite low. Yep. So if I'm just going for a cruise or something, it's generally the one that I take. Nice. Um, I've got an AMG GTC. Yes. So that was like my second really like baller purchase and other than a house. listening, what's that worth? So I paid about $320,000 for it cash. cash. Yep. Yeah. Insane. Yep. Insane. <laughs> what other toys have you got? And then I just bought a Dodge Ram 1500 Limited, which is like a big four-wheel drive. Okay. I paid 170 grand for that like cash. A big, big fuck off. Yeah, kind huge. Of. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Oh, my God. And here you are sitting in my kitchen <laughs> having a um, just an – Easy old chin wag and you're worth half a million dollars a month. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Insane. Okay. So for, let's just say someone wants to start OnlyFans, mm. right? What advice do you have for them? Because obviously there's different ways you can go about it. How would you suggest that they kind of start from, say, setting their profile pictures mm-hmm. to, you know, content that they drop to where do they promote? Who do they promote to? Do you have a niche? Do you not have a niche? All that sort of jazz. Yeah, the biggest thing I think would be niche. Um, There are so many people on OnlyFans now. You've Mm. got to stand out. Mm. Even something that you think you don't think would make you stand out might make you stand out. So even it's the smallest thing like having freckles or, you know, being covered in tattoos or being four foot four or being six foot three as a female or or whatever it may be. Mm. It's just the smallest thing that separates you that's – even the slightest bit different to the average person that's on it. And gotcha. I'm talking there's like millions and millions and millions of people on OnlyFans. So to find that one little thing that might separate you could could mean the world basically and change your life. Mm. Um, and definitely one thing that I see lots of people do is when they get on it, if they decide to go, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. And if they're, if they're comfortable to do porn, for example, mm. um, what they might do is I see girls do it all the time where they will do it and then they'll go pay all these guys or get all these guys to collaborate content with. And in their first month, they've, you know, they've got six different videos with six different guys. Mm. And then all of a sudden that's their, now their standard to continue and keep up with. And that would be hard because it's impossible. You run mm. out of, you run out of dudes, you run out of guys sure. and, yeah. and, and, and you're, all of a sudden your standard is now that you have to produce at least six videos a month with six different dudes. Yeah. Which is – and all of a sudden – Why wouldn't they recycle the same people? Well, some girls like so – a lot of people think that they want to see something different. I think, yeah. I think there's the expectation of like porn and stuff that people want to see things different all the time, um, which I personally know in my case is not the case. Mm. Um, and I, there, are, there are many, many, many ways around that that small little hurdle. Um, and I think a lot of girls just think that if they've got the opportunity and there's someone they're willing to, they just take it. So I mm. see so many girls who will have you know, a handful of guys wanting to make content with them. Mm. So they make content with them all, they sell all the videos, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, my God, I have to do this again. Have to find four new dudes, or they might use the same guy again. But then, because they've used three or four other dudes, people will go like, "Oh, come on, we've already seen this guy. Like, we've already seen him next." So the fans start because the standard is that you you set that standard yourself, right? You've you've now told them, "Hey, look, in one month I'm going to do this." Yeah, that's their expectation now that you've you've provided them that expectation. So it's it's very very common, Um, and I see a lot of girls who go into OnlyFans maybe with no partners, no boyfriends, Mm. um, and and unable to make content whether because they don't feel comfortable sleeping with strangers, or maybe they want to wait until they have a boyfriend or something, whatever it may be. Mm. But they do their own stuff. 
And their own stuff from the first month they start to, you know, a couple months in can go from zero to extreme quite quickly. Mm. And again, that's your new standard. So that's, that's, you've got to constantly produce what it is that you do. Like I know some girls who started in one month and one of the second videos she ever did was like a hardcore video. Like I'm talking like full on. Mm. And that was her second ever video that she posted. And so it's like you've set the bar. You've set the bar completely. So um, that is the biggest thing is just actually planning your content and realizing that your page is yours and Mm. you run it. But at the end of the day, you set the standard and the tone for your page. And if you're not willing to commit to whatever decision you make, you shouldn't do it at all. Sure. Okay. So how how many posts are you doing a week at the moment? Oh, it really depends if I'm doing stuff a lot. So if I have like a busy week, Mm -hmm. um, I'll always try like I'm almost doing photo shoots and stuff. I mean, it's like tax deduction and everything. So I'm like always trying to keep busy and spend money Um, (laughs) as bad as that sounds. um, It saves me money at the same time. So um, so I'm always trying to do photo shoots, locations. I'll hire, I'll try and hire like a hotel or a room or something uh, once a week or something like that. Mm -hmm. So if I'm busy, it can be a lot. At the moment, I'm not doing that because I'm about to go away. So Mm -hmm. probably only two or three times a day. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes it can be more and then videos so posting two or three times a day yeah but but sometimes it can mm. be it can be a video so like today i've already posted a picture on like my profile mm. like just a, a nice picture yeah and then i posted another picture because it's christmas so i showed like a christmas special yeah and then i've sent a video out but that's probably all i'll do today yeah and then tomorrow i don't know what i'm going to do tomorrow i'm just gonna wing it at the moment i'm not organizing my content because i'm going away so i'm just yeah. hanging to like just post all the content once I'm gone. Like the second I'm out of here, I'm like, I'm on the plane, bang. Yeah, right yeah, so right. That's okay. that's why I normally I'd be months ahead and I'd schedule all my stuff, but at the moment I'm not. But it's, it can be anywhere from two to four posts a day. Mm. Um, probably, yeah, it could be anywhere from new videos would be at least two or three a week, but then I recycle and put deals on a lot of my old videos as well. Um, so that might be one or two a week as well. So it's, it's pretty busy. Busy lady. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So definitely a full-time gig, obviously. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, do you know someone that's doing it sort of semi-part-time, still making relatively good money? Yep. Because I've got a, a couple of friends of mine that are doing it. They're quite, you know, they're in their 20s, killing it, making, you know, probably five grand plus a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and the amount of effort that goes into their content is not a lot. Yeah. Not a lot of effort at all. Yeah. And again, they've got their own niches and stuff like that. And then a lot of their promo stuff is kind of pushed through their creativity on TikTok and Reels. And, yeah. Yeah. That's sort of how they naturally draw attention without necessarily being strictly only yeah. fans. Yeah. Um, are you on Twitter as well? Do you promote no, through I got, Twitter? I got banned off Twitter. Why is that? <laughs> Um, I think from the email, someone spammed my page and Twitter said because of the number of reports, I got report reported for graphic violence, but there's nothing on my page with graphic violence. So yeah. I'm just a hater. I think it just worked really hard to get me, me banned, unfortunately. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So I've tried to make a few new ones, but I have no idea how to, how to get yeah. one back, unfortunately. So I'm missing out on a huge thing because Twitter's massive. Mm. Um, and it, it's, it's great, but I'm, I'm lucky enough that I probably don't need it. Uh, as bad mm. as that sounds. I mean, I, I could do with it because it could help me, but mm. until my stuff starts to drop or I start to want more fans or want to earn more money, I could probably look at making a new one. Yeah, okay. So you're looking at going to America eventually mm-hmm. and looking at collaborating with other people. How does your partner feel about that? Well, we've spoken about it. Mm. There's one thing that we've sort of always said. There's things that, like, I'm also – like. One thing that I, I, I'm very big on is like sexual health and, and mm. like, you know, sexual diseases and stuff that, you know, all these people on the Gold Coast and a lot of other uh, content creators don't seem to care about. Mm. Um, my health and well-being is something that I've struggled with in the past. When I was younger, I had some 
some not sexual anything sexual but i had like gut issues and a lot of like things i was allergic to and and Mm. i had all sorts of things under the sun that was wrong with my guts and and i was very sick and i'd put on weight i'd lose lots of weight and i think ever since then i've just always wanted to listen to my body and make sure that nothing ever ruins it again i had a lot of issues with like birth controls when i got on them when i was a kid and Mm. and, and not getting my periods for long long period points of time and Mm. Or just like I've been through it all and I was doing all of this while I was racing as well. So it was very stressful. So I, yeah. I just want to make sure that I never, ever, ever go back to that point where like my hormones are just out of whack and nothing can affect me um, like what it did. Um, so something like that is, is very important to me. And, yeah. and I think a lot of people, especially nowadays, because so many people are creating content, they don't really care about it. So for me, if I was to create content or if we were to do anything together, it would be professionally. So it would be actually like with, with a, a production company or something where, where we have to get you know, STD checks and signed off and blood tests gotcha. and yeah. everyone signs contracts and if anyone's in breach of contract, they get sued and like it would be something mm. that's very professional because I personally couldn't afford to have anything go wrong with me you know, if, mm. in that department because that's, that's my job, first of all. Yeah. Um, and then obviously my boyfriend, if he gets naturally drawn into it because of me and I, he gets something because of someone that we're with, it's mm. like I would never be able to sleep at night thinking that it's all my fault sort of thing. For so sure. very so, important for me. So with these contracts and a prof- more professional setup, stemming away from, you know, an amateur, just have sex, put on only friends, mm. um, what are some of the terms and conditions that would be within these contracts? Like if you're having sex with someone else on camera, what can they – can or they can't do – with that content or, you know, what are the expectations? Yeah, I think nowadays um, a lot of the the people in the industry, like your Pornhubs and your Brazis and um, many vids and all those places, they signed um, creators and, and actresses and actors um, and they are now more open to where that stuff goes. So from my understanding from a few people that I've spoken to already, um, there's nothing super exclusive or there might just be one video that's super exclusive, but then you can share it, you know, a month later to any of your other platforms. So they're a lot more open to it now and to where it can go. Um, and, and how you promote it, I think is key for them as long as you're telling them that it's exclusively filmed with X. Um, and then you say that, you know, these guys are exclusively filming this for me or produced by X when Mm. you sell it on your your other platforms. Mm. Um, they're a lot more open into that now it's a lot it's a lot different to what it used to be even like five years ago probably okay okay cool well i think i'm all out of questions <laughs> just quietly there's a lot here there we're what 56 minutes in and I, i'm looking forward to actually just going back and listening through everything but i hope it's been an education for people um more importantly removing the stigma around only fans that mm. is it's just strictly porn but then it's okay that like having sat here with you and, you know, having a good chat with you, Renee, you seem like you're very switched on. You've, you know, you're not. Are you and your body not having a great relationship? Are you needing to overhaul your fitness and eating habits? Has your confidence fallen to the wayside and has this perhaps impacted your ability to function properly in either your relationships and even society? Then maybe it's time you bit the bullet and made the change you've been putting off in forever. If you're dying to be in the best shape you've felt in a long time, then I'd love to hear from you. You can apply for online or face-to-face personal training where I've developed a personal proven system that empowers my members to take control of their health, nutrition and mindset once and for all. You can visit www.divinephysiques.com.au. The links will be in the show notes below. 
how do I say this without talking out of school? You don't. I'm not a porn star like what everyone thinks a porn no, star is. No, you, you actually, you're a, you're <laughs> like a beautiful <laughs> looking girl, but you're certainly not a dits. You switched on, you've lived a life, you've learned some lessons. Um, you definitely not, you don't come across trashy. Um, and not to say that there's anything wrong with that, mm. each to their own, but. It's the expectation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think what's nice is that you're very down to earth, you're easy to talk to and you're making an absolute killing on this platform. You treat it as a profession. It's just what you do, but it's not exactly who you are. Am mm -hmm. I right in saying that? Yeah, yep. You know? Definitely. So when you're not sort of making content, like what are your other, do you have any other hobbies or interests or what are you passionate about? outside of that um it's really it's consuming for me so it is like mm. my whole life one mm. one passion that i have from all of this is mm. uh, is being creative so i actually take a lot of pride and because i do have the money to be able to do this i do take a lot of pride in you know my photo shoots and mm. and taking really nice quality content that i can look back in 10 years time and go oh my god look how hot i was in this photo you know like that's something that i take pride mm. in because a i can afford to do it and b i want to do it to make me feel better and sure. it's it's very taxing and you know it's if I'm producing something that I love um, uh, it makes me feel so much better about the whole thing it's, yeah. it doesn't feel like work mm. um, so I do spend a lot of time thinking about photo shoots and where I'm going to shoot and, and being creative with everything that I do on my platforms yeah. um, but I just I I just love chilling out I love being at home I've got like I've got a little bit of a farm going on so yeah. I've got like ducks and chickens um, I'm building a pool at the moment so that's been pretty hands-on but I just I don't know I just love being at home with the dogs and just being outside with the chickens. I rescued a cat the other day, so I'm like just very all about just my a animals. Basic humble girl, yeah, by the all my it. animals, and then yeah. I've got my cars and stuff. So I love going for cruises on weekends in the cars, yeah, and, and going out to dinner and being a bit of a foodie as well. But nice. I really, I, I don't do much. I just when I'm not doing anything like work wise, I yeah. just really like to chill out and yeah. get off my phone completely, and because I'm on it all the time, sure. and just completely chill out and just go like pat with play with the chickens and ducks and dogs. Something that keeps you centered. <laughs> Literally, yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. So if people want to actually come and be a fan and subscribe, where's the best place to find you? So they can go to my Instagram, which yep. is the Renee underscore Gracie, and just click yep. the bio. It's normally yep. the easiest way. But mm -hmm. if you're already on OnlyFans in the search bar, you can just search Renee Gracie and I'll pop up. And it's Gracie, G-R-A-C-I-E. That's it. Yep. Done. Guys, that will all be in the show notes below. I just want to say a massive thank you for coming out today. It is a Sunday for those listening. Thank you. No, um, thanks for having me. No, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Guys, I hope that was um, educational, informative, fun. And if you're thinking of jo joining OF, do you have a referral link? Yes, I do actually. I do yeah. have a referral link. Um, I can send that if some girls want to message me and reach out. I offer like coaching and stuff as well too. So Beautiful. I can send referral links. Just message me. Excellent. Well, that'll be it. Um, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Renee, thank you.